It's an exciting morning. You braved the uh, wet roads. You made it out in a snowstorm. Two weeks in a row. There's a snowstorm, but you're here and we're going to have church. Amen. And uh, first time I get to say it's uh, February 7th and um, our Berkeley Springs campus makes some noise right now. Amen. Thankful for that. Also thankful for all those watching online at Mountaineer Recovery Center, Fort Detrick Fire Department, all over the place. We have a thriving church family online, and we're, um, we're excited about God moving in their lives. But uh, here today, we're going to um, we're going to cover another core value, and this one may seem a little strange, but I believe it's part of what makes us who we are. And, and I think it's inherent to the way we operate as a church. And so um, we're going to get to that in a second. If, as Skip said earlier, if you haven't joined a team yet, you should do that. And, and one of the first steps, you can walk outside there and, and we have a find your fit table. Take advantage of that. Figure out where you fit in the body of Christ. I say this all the time. I don't think it's the whole calling on your life. I don't think it's everything God wants you to do. But I do think he wants to be, you to be a part of a local church, contributing to a local church. Uh, that's, he hadn't come up with a better system yet. And so we're thankful for that. Everybody that volunteers here, uh, we just have such a great team um, uh, at Hope Community Church. And to lighten your fear a little bit, we give you on-ramps to volunteer and then give you off-ramps when you get sick of it. Nobody wants to be stuck at a church where you got to do something you don't like. And so every, every about six months, we give people the chance to quit. Isn't that awesome? Or, or pick something else. We, we know there's a different season of your life and that happens and you can do more in some seasons than you can the others. So we're, we're aware of that. So we're thankful. Today, um, today we're going to talk about what we call resourcefulness. Now, this is the way I'm wired. I didn't grow up with a lot. My family didn't, we were, we were pretty poor. And so, so you had to work with what you had a lot of times. You weren't getting a lot of new stuff all the time. And it's been kind of heart of what we do here at Hope Community Church, being resourceful. When you look in scripture, you find resourcefulness all over the place. We're going to talk about that this morning. So why don't you stand to your feet one more time for the reading of the word and I'll let you sit down to the end. Unless the preaching's so good you want to stand up. Then, I mean, that's never happened, but if you want to do that today. Actually, don't do that. John chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1. We'll read through 15. I've preached on this several times, but I think there's something a little bit different we're going to look at this morning. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what they would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread. 
would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And now that there was much, uh, now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets of fragments from the five barley loaves by those left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, you literally promise if we look into it that you'll change us. So today is no exception, God. We're gathered here together looking into your word. We pray that it would renew our minds, change the way we think. Lord, we pray that we'd be more like Jesus because we are together in your presence today. Thank you for all that you have already done. We're privileged people. Pray that you bless it today, Lord, in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So I'll give you a little, give you a little paraphrase about what's happening. So it's springtime, the Passover feast is about to happen. It's a celebration of Israelites' deliverance out of Egypt, and it was a feast that they kept. And so Passover is about to come. Jesus had been teaching and healing people, and a large crowd had had formed around him, and and he they were going over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to get some peace and quiet. Now this account is recorded in the Gospels in other areas. Other people have have takes on this. So, so when you like accumulate all the accounts, you know, when you're at a car accident, you don't take one person's word for it. You walk around, you find everybody's view of what happened. And, and, and so some people add more details than others. The, the uh, gospel writer, Matthew tells us that there were people who saw him get in a boat to go to the other side. And they ran around the North end of the sea of Galilee, crossed over the Jordan river and actually got there before he did. Now, you would be glad I'm not Jesus. Because if I was leaving one side of Ga- Sea of Galilee to go over to the other side to get some peace and quiet, I would not have patience for people that got there before I did. If they showed up in a crowd, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Came over here to get away from you people. You would have done the same thing. Somebody say amen and thankful that Jesus isn't like us. Yeah, I'm really thankful he's not like some of us. So what happens is they get to the other side and the Bible says that he has compassion on them and he ends up healing them and teaching them on the other side. Can I just tell you, God's compassion for you never runs out. Even when you run ahead of him, even when you screw up, even when you're behind him, even when you're not nowhere near him, his compassion for you never fails. So he's compassionate on them and he heals them and teaches them. Well, we find out from other accounts that it's starting to get late. And there's a ton of people there now. John records that 
that Jesus picks one of his, picks Philip and he just says, Hey Philip, how, where are we going to buy food for all these people? But it says he did it on purpose. He asked Philip on purpose to test him to see what he would say because he already knew what he was going to do. He already knew that he was going to provide. He was going to do a miracle. So he asked Philip, Hey Philip, where are we going to get food for all these people? Philip says, man, if you had 200 denarii, you, you wouldn't have enough bread to get everybody just have a little. And that was a huge amount of money. That's probably three quarters of a year's wages. He said, if you had three, if you had saved three quarters of a year's wages and you purchased bread with it, it'd be just enough to give everybody a little bit. So that John records something that's kind of funny. He records that Simon Peter's brother, Andrew comes up and says, Hey, I found a kid with five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, anybody else in the room love people that bring solutions that won't work? You ever been in a meeting and somebody walks in and goes, hey, what if we did this? And everybody's like, are you, how'd you even get in here? Now, what makes it even more terrible is that Andrew didn't even believe his own solution. Because he tells him, hey, I found a kid with five loaves of bread and two fish. (laughs) But that ain't enough. I'm thinking, why'd you even open your mouth? Five loaves of bread and two fish is pointless in this circumstance. Amen? But everybody agree. So Andrew runs up, hey, I found a guy with five loaves of bread and two fish. It's not enough. Just thought I'd tell you it was out there. We find out from one of the other gospel writers that Jesus tells them, hey, make everybody sit down in groups takes the bread and the fish and he holds it up sort of like what we just did and he blesses it and he says, now go pass it out. The Bible tells us that as they pass it out, they pass it out to over 5,000 people and it said everybody ate until they were full. It didn't say, it didn't say it, it was like a couple crackers and you just had to you know, you're, you're taking it away from your kid because you're like, you don't need that. It says everybody ate till they were full. Then the miracle continues because it says, then he tells the disciples, go around and pick up all the leftovers. And it says they pick up 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now, some theologians say it was, it was to represent the 12 tribes of Israel, or it was because there was 12 disciples. I don't care why. They picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. They had more leftovers left over than the amount of food they had when they started. Anybody get that? So we're going to talk about resourcefulness this morning. It's not a catchy word. It's not some word you would say, what's a, what's a really good description of you? Well, I'm resourceful. To most people, that sounds like, well, they're cheap. They're stingy, they're cheap, they're whatever. We look at it differently. Uh, Skip reminded me earlier today that 10 years ago, now if you've come in the last six months, if you come in the last year, you've walked in this building and you see all this, all this nice stuff and, and nice seats. And there's, there's nice seats. They were new a year and a half ago. Don't spill your coffee on them. I remember we had chairs in the fellowship hall 
that were 20 years old and we couldn't afford to get new chairs. So we paid $2,500, bought material and foam and recovered the chairs and spray paint. I forgot about that. We spray painted them, brought them up into the sanctuary and brand new chairs. We would buy um, packing boxes and stack them up behind the stage and shine lights on them for the backdrop. And I thought spending $200 on packing boxes was outrageous. Call me cheap, I don't care. It became part of who we were and how we did things. When we, when we go in and build buildings or we, or, or we start new places, we, we figure out what we can do with what we have. Who here can pull this off? How can we make this happen with what we already have? Because inherently I know this. I know every single one of us here today are going to run into some point in time. If you're, you may be in this circumstance right now, or you may, you may have already been through it. You, every one of us ends up in a place where we need more than what we currently have. Amen. I'm not talking about want more. I'm saying you actually need more than what is currently available to you. Anybody ever lived in that spot before where you got, you got to the place and you were like, well, this ain't going to cut it. And you, you wish your friends would stop advising you, well, five loaves of bread and two fish are enough. And you're like, get off. It's not going to work. That's the story of every Christian's life. At some point in time, just because you start following Christ does not mean that at some point in time, you, will not, you won't be in a situation where it seems like you need more than what you currently have. Amen? Isn't that a great way to invite people to Jesus? Hey, come, come follow Jesus. You'll still need more than you have. <laughs> I mean, that won't get fixed yet. So, uh, so that's where we pick up the story. It's 5,000, at least 5,000 people there. And Jesus poses the question, how do we feed him? And everybody goes, <laughs> I mean, I got 50 bucks on me, but that ain't going to do much. Having less than what you need doesn't, doesn't mean Jesus has failed you. Having less than what you currently need does not mean God has failed you. God always provides but never promises that it will start out looking like enough. See, that's a different thing, isn't it? We want it to always look like we have enough when we need it. God always provides, but it doesn't always start out looking like that. Amen? It doesn't mean you're going to wake up in the morning and go, hey, I just got enough. It doesn't matter. Some mornings you wake up and have to trust God for what you need. Amen? There's a couple instances. This, this idea is throughout the whole Bible, all the way back in 1 Kings. There's a prophet named Elijah. And he was, he was God gave him instructions to go to a town called Zarephath and meet a widow. And the widow would provide for him food and Things that he needs. But when he gets there, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 12, this is what he finds out. He, he finds a widow and he says, hey, do you, have any, do you have anything I can eat? Now, isn't it funny how, you know, if you're like me and God said, hey, I'm going to provide for you. I want you to specifically go to this town, meet this person. And when I got there, I would expect they'd have what I needed. Amen. Wouldn't that be awesome just to work like that? And, they, and they, they just said, hey, man, here's a gift card to your favorite restaurant. Just go eat on me. It's awesome. I'll be like, I'll be back next week to get another one. 
When Elijah got there, he finds the woman, and this is what she, this is her response to him. Verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied. She said, if there's a God in heaven, I need you to listen to me right now. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Okay, Lord, is there another widow in town? This one's got nothing. There's a famine in the land and she's out. So God sends Elijah to somebody who in the meantime, who in the moment doesn't seem like she can provide for him. Fast forward to 2 Kings. Elijah's, Elijah's protege, Elisha, has an encounter with another widow. And she's in debt and can't figure out how to get out of it and all this bad stuff's happening. Elisha said to her, what can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? He says, what do you already have? And she said, your woman servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. I got nothing. My need is so great. All I got is this jar of oil. You fast forward all the way to the New Testament. Jesus sent out the 12 disciples and was telling them, hey, you're going to go out and heal the sick and and cast out devils and and proclaim the kingdom of God. But listen to how he sent them out in Mark chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. He told them to take nothing along with them but a walking stick. They were not to take a bag or food or money in their belts. They were, to wear, they, they were to wear shoes, but they were not to take two coats. Like you're starting us out with less than what we need. Can I tell you this? God is never pushing us to do without. He's pushing us to trust him. It is, it is, not, it is not more holy to be without. I need you to listen to me. I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. I'm not saying walk out and claim your Mercedes tomorrow. I'm not saying walk out and claim your beach house. I'm saying it is not more holy just to do without because we don't trust God. God is never pushing us to do without. He's pushing us to trust him. Every time he sometimes seemingly orchestrates the circumstance, Elijah, go to the widow and she's going to provide for you. He gets there. She's got nothing. She's got nothing. I mean, I don't have a Jew, but I'd have been like, okay, come on, is this real? You want me to take her last meal? Over and over and over again in our walk with Christ, we are going to end up in a day or a season in our lives where it just doesn't seem like enough. That's not a moment to go, God, what are you doing? It's a moment to go, God, I trust you that you're still providing for me. Amen? That just because of what it looks like when the day starts doesn't mean that's what it's going to look like when the day ends. By the time Elijah got done with that widow, God had provided. So, the start of the miracle of feeding the 5,000 starts out with not enough. Andrew comes up and says, hey, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. And everybody's like, shut up, Andrew. It's pointless. At some point in time, Jesus goes, hey, bring that to me. Bring that to me. So he brings them the five loaves of bread, two fish, and he blesses it. All right, I, I got to stop you right here. Because I, I, think I've, I think I've learned something over the years. Stretching always comes before multiplication. I think that's a biblical principle. Stretching always comes before multiplication. Anybody ever worked out, went to the gym? 
You're going to get your beach muscles. You should start now, by the way. Um, you got to get beach muscles when it's snowing. That's the whole principle. If you wait till July, you're late. Before you go in and try to lift the heavy weight, you're supposed to what? You know, you don't want to tear a bicep. You don't want to tear a pec muscle. You definitely don't want to tear a hammy. So you stretch. You stretch to get your muscles worked into a place where now you can strain them. You know what happens? We're a Pentecostal church. You know what happens at Pentecostals? We want to see signs and wonders everywhere. We want to walk into the bathroom and see signs and wonders like there's enough toilet paper. We want to walk everywhere. We want to say, oh, signs and wonders. You want to run into people at Walmart, lay hands on them and see them fall out. Sometimes we want the big muscles without stretching first. You know what happens there, don't you? You pull a hammy. So here's what we do. God over and over in us gives us the opportunity to be resourceful and stretch things, but we want to see the big miracle. <laughs> because we're Americans after all, aren't we? We're in this endless cycle of what I have actually works really well, but what I found out was there is a better version of what I have. So I need to get rid of the thing that actually works and get something that works just a fraction of a bit better. Because after all, all of my friends have it. <laughs> Tell you a story. This literally happened last night. How many of you got flat panel TVs? Just raise your hand. Come on. I don't want to embarrass anybody that doesn't. We have a pretty nice TV in our living room. And we have a sound system with that TV. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Got your sound bar with the subwoofer. I don't need to go to the movies anymore. I can make it, I can make my couch rumble. So we can watch movies right there, couch rumbling. This is awesome. I had somebody come every one time. They were like, where's that coming from? I'm like, I got a subwoofer behind the couch, man. I'm a next level. So, uh, I'm, I have a, we have a finished basement. It's a really nice area. We have a TV down there. It's one of our older flat panels, if you know what I'm saying. So I thought, I'm gonna, I'll go down and start a fire in the wood stove, turn the lights down low, and we'll go down and watch a movie downstairs. We turned the TV on. Both of us looked at each other and went, how did we ever watch TV on this thing? Anybody? We didn't have a sound bar or subwoofer downstairs. It was an early smart TV. And I thought, I don't know if I can do this. I don't, lights down low and wood stove. I don't know if that's enough to keep me down here with that TV. You hear where I'm going with this? We're Americans. We're just used to the miracle. We want it all and we want it all now. And it's just so exciting. But sometimes God wants you to stretch things before he multiplies them. He wants you to stretch it. How, how much trust will you put in him? Or is it, I just need the new thing, Lord. I just need the new thing. Just give me the new thing. He says, hey, wait a second. What are you willing to give me now? In the case of Elijah and the widow at Zarephath, she went and baked a, a little flour and oil cake and brought it to him and he ate it. She stretched it. 
And God kept, and God multiplied that and multiplied that until the famine was over. And he took care. It said neither the flour or the oil ran out until the famine was over. Not only could she feed her and her son, she fed the prophet the whole time. What was the principle there? She was willing to stretch what she had in faith. And then God multiplied it after she stretched it. The same thing with the woman, uh, with, with Elijah, with the widow with Elijah. He says, get them as many jugs as you can and go around and God will keep filling them up. Well, she was stretching her faith. When Jesus sent out the 12 with less than what they needed, none of them came back and said, I can't believe you sent us out with nothing. They all came back and said, I can't believe how much power you gave us. The church has forgotten how to stretch. We've forgotten how to be thankful for what we already have. Because the miracle doesn't start with what God will give you. It starts with what you already have. In every one of these circumstances, the disciples were going, hey, Lord, I don't know, you better bring a bread truck or something. I don't know, you you better bring something. We don't have anything. No, it always started with what they currently had on hand. What can you give the Lord that then he can, as you stretch it, then he can multiply? Because the miracle never happens until what you have is being passed out. Come on. So, it requires us then to be thankful for what we have. Come on. I always do this. I'm not that old, but I remember walking uphill both ways to school in the snow. No, I don't remember that. I remember standing beside a TV with a set of rabbit ears, propping the front door of the trailer open, and my dad saying, don't move until you get it into focus. And now I'm complaining because I'm in my basement and I don't have a subwoofer on my TV. I didn't even have a basement when I was growing up. Could I be thankful enough for what I already have to stretch it? That's a mentality Americans don't typically settle into. Can I be thankful enough for what I already have? Look around your house. The car you drive, the job you have. Look at what I already have. Look at the relationships. Look at the family. Lord, what I already have. So that changes my mentality to believe I'm thankful for what I already have. So at least that's a start. Because every miracle has to start somewhere. And it's typically not with God dumping money out of the sky. It's typically not with him just, just whipping up a bread factory right beside the crowd. It's typically with what we already have in our hands. And so the requirement for us to be thankful for what we already have, instead of me sitting down in the basement going, how do we ever watch this? Lord, I'm thankful. I remember the day where I couldn't afford one TV. Come on. You remember that? I remember the day where our, uh, the first TV we had was given to us as a, as a wedding gift. We couldn't get another one. I remember playing the first video game thing I had. We, we kept it about six months and then sold it. It tells you what I think about video games. We played it on a black and white 13-inch TV. I'm not kidding. I'm sitting in the basement, a beautiful house, thinking, how could anybody ever watch this without a subwoofer? Instead of going, Lord, I got no idea how I even got here. Your goodness to me has given me things that I never imagined 
I could have. Help me to stretch it. Help me to stretch it. Help me to start the miracle that you can bless. Amen? Okay. Are you with me? There's one other thing I need you to understand here. Uh, can I ask you something? How many of you like eating leftovers? Anybody? Somebody? Whoa. If you ask my wife, she would tell you, I despise leftovers. I hate them. You fill the refrigerator with food, I'm going to open it up and go, there's nothing in here to eat. We ate that yesterday. That was yesterday's food. I'm not the guy that's going to open up the refrigerator and say, hey, how long has that been in there? I'm not eating it. I'll let you eat it. I'll sit back and see if it's been in there too long. I just don't like leftovers. I like all my meals being prepared at the moment, hot, fresh, ready to go, like just right there, ready to eat. And then when we're done eating them, throw the rest away. Anybody else? In Jesus' name, we live in America. We got plenty. The trouble is that's not the Bible. I'm not telling you to eat the leftovers. Like this is a metaphorical I'm going to back myself into a trap. I'm going to end up eating leftovers today. Watch this. They stretch what they have. This is what we have. Jesus blesses it. They start passing it out. They got no idea what's going to happen. They just start passing it out. They stretch it. Jesus multiplies it. At the end of what seems like the miracle is over. The miracle's not over. Because he then instructs them to go pick up the rest of the leftovers. And I thought, why is he doing that? There had to be somebody, there had to be some of the disciples that did not want day old bread. He says, go pick up the leftovers. They start walking around with baskets. They pick up 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 baskets of leftovers. It says they took them with them. I need to show you two different mentalities that are going on here. So you remember we read in John's account that at the end of the miracle, Jesus could tell that the people in the crowd, now this is a giant crowd. You pack 5,000, you get 5,000 people. They could pretty much manhandle things and make things happen the way they want. Amen. 5,000 people. It's a big crowd. So Jesus could tell that they were about, they were so excited about his ability to provide for them in the moment that they were getting ready to take him by force and try to make him king. Why? Because they thought he was awesome? No, because he could provide. All he had to do was hold up five loaves of bread, two fish, and bless it, and everybody got fed. That sounds like a pretty good system to me. We'll make this dude king, and he'll be providing for us. Do you notice there was no... There was no documentation of anybody in the crowd keeping any of the food. There, there is no, there's no writing of anybody, any parents going, hey, Johnny, hey, Johnny, stuff three loaves down your pants. We got to save this for tomorrow. They were so enamored about the miracle, they ate till they were full, and then they were done. Jesus tells the disciples, though, to go back and pick everything up. So you have a crowd of people who are just enamored by the miracle and want him to keep doing miracles. And then you have Jesus saying, don't let the leftovers go to waste.
Keep doing the miracles for me. Be resourceful. Keep doing the miracles for me. Be resourceful. Keep doing the miracles, Lord. We're gonna, we just want you to keep giving us what we want when we want it. Hey, you better pick up what's left. Do you know what I realize? Jesus wasn't doing another miracle to feed the disciples. When they got to the next day in the next town, he wasn't going to like make bread fall out of the sky for them. He said, pick it up from the last miracle. Oh, that's so tough for me because I want to spend today's miracle today. Don't you? I want to spend today. I want to eat all of today's miracle today. I want to just, oh, you're so good to me. That means I get everything I want today. And then when I get to tomorrow and there's not enough, then I go, Lord, do it again. Come on, nobody here has ever been in that cycle? Do it again, Lord, do it again. I know, we'll sing the song. We believe you could do it again. Jesus says there's 12 baskets left over from the last one. What'd you do with that? Well, who's going to eat that? It says the disciples got in a boat and he sent them off to the uh, back to where they came from the other side. And I've got a feeling that the leftover bread from the miracle the next day was their, was their lunch in Capernaum. Wasn't going to be another miracle the next day. Not for bread. He had already provided for them. So now, now it's on us. God provides the miracle. How do we handle the miracle? I don't want to play this ping pong game where God supplies more than enough and then I act like it's a not, not enough. More than enough, I act like it's not enough. More than enough, act like it's not enough. More than enough, act like it's not enough. You know what I'd rather do? I'd rather be like, God, you bless me out of nothing. We had five loaves of bread and two fish, and I'm going to stretch this as far as we could possibly. Hey, you got to shut your mouth. We're eating bread tomorrow for lunch, for breakfast or dinner. This is a miracle because here's the deal. If you just wait on the next miracle, there's really no more testimony. Oh, you could testify about how God gave you something and now you just still don't have enough. Or you could carry the 12 loaves with you, the 12 baskets with you and say, hey, we're still eating on what he provided a week ago. Because he's good enough to provide more than enough every time. And so we were resourceful enough to pick it all up. Them other bums got up and walked off. Not the church. We're going to take everything that he's given us and we're going to stretch it. And Paul would come along later and say, if you will be generous on every occasion with what he has given you, he would make sure that there was enough every time that you wanted to be generous. What's that mean? Lord, I've got what you've given me back here and I brought it with me. I don't care. It's rusted. It's all busted up, but I'm going to offer it to you down here because it was more than enough down there. Amen. So all of a sudden, the testimony isn't from one miracle to another. It's this continuous testimony of how he's always provided, always provided. And you don't need a lightning strike from heaven to make it happen. I was resourceful with the miracle he did back there. And that's why it looks so good right here. You see, the problem is this. The band's going to come up. We're going to end with this. Here's the problem. Every time we look at a blessing in someone else's life, we think God just dropped it out of the sky. 
we neglect to think about what they did with the blessing God gave them. Mm. And how we handle it dictates how long it lasts. How we handle it dictates whether more comes. How we handle it. So resourcefulness has to be at the core of our Christian walk. I could give you an example over and over and over again. Not because we're cheap, but because we're not spending that kind of money on things. I heard a guy say one time, it was actually Rick Warren. For the Purpose Driven Life. Anybody heard of that book? You know that book has sold more copies than any other nonfiction book in the history of book writing. Massive amounts of... The only book that has sold more copies than Purpose Driven Life is the Bible. Can you imagine what kind of paycheck came with that book? Lord, let me write a book. I saw an interview with Rick Warren. He said the first year that that book was published, he said, I could have bought 10 Bentleys and never knew the money was gone. I thought, Lord, one. So the guy interviewing him said, why do you think God lets you write that book? He said, he could trust me with the money. I've said that before in here. He said, he could trust me with the money. You know what I found out? If you go back and look at that interview, he said, I'm still driving the same car I did 11 years ago. I've had the car 11 years. I didn't buy a new car. He said, I I live in the same house we lived in for 19 years. He said, if I got a t-shirt on, I'm fine. I'm not saying don't buy a nice car and don't have a nice house. I'm not saying any of that. But the resourcefulness of the believer determines how long the miracle lasts. And I want us, I want us to show people that God's provision is good. That it's not just one miracle after another, after another, after another. You may just write one book. You may just, you may just, God may just do one big thing in your life. And the way you manage that shows whether you trust him or not. It's not about getting to the next miracle. It's about appreciating what he's already given us. And in our culture, that is rarely done. So we have the opportunity as a church. We're going to figure out. We're going to figure out a, 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 the least expensive way to do it. We're going to figure out how to, how to, not, how to spend the money in a, in a better way. We're going, to, we're going to figure out, hey, this is what they're charged to do this. We think we could do it for this. Because God has blessed us, unbelievably blessed us. How we carry that blessing is important. Amen? How we carry it is important. And I want God to bless you. I want him to physically bless you. But I want you to be able to carry that blessing in a way that honors him. And when all you got's five loaves of bread and two fish, I want you to offer them, give thanks, and say, Lord, I'm stretching this. I'm stretching it. You multiply it, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm picking up what's left over. I'm picking up what's left over. I mean it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And every time I pull that piece of bread out, I'm going to show it to somebody and say, hey man, God made this come out of nowhere about a week ago. Why are you eating that moldy bread? Because he did it. I'm eating it and God's favor is on my life. Amen.